Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, hello. I thought that's what it was going to sound like. Uh, oh, how you doing? Me too. I think the fix is in. <laughs> I, I just think the fix is in. Uh, I mean, the reality is that the Republicans have <coughs> 51, 49. Um, that's all they have is a majority in the Senate. So you need two. You need it to just one Republican saying, I'm not voting for him. Uh, assuming all Democrats do vote against him, uh, allows Pence, the vice president, to break the 50-50 tie. So you need to. I don't see him. The one I think is most likely, most likely Republican is Murkowski. That's my gut. Anyway, uh, the fix is in. The fix has been in for some time. That's what I think. We'll all know soon enough. The fact that the uh, FBI has completed its supposed new uh, enhanced background check when they, <coughs> excuse me, didn't even talk to the accuser. When there is only one copy of their, what, 100-some-page report available to the Senate who will vote tomorrow. And that report can only be seen in a secured room. So each senator pretty much has to go in and read it by him or herself, I guess, sit there for 100 pages. There's not enough time for all of them to do that, obviously, and I'm sure some of them won't. Uh, the fix is in. And I, nothing has changed since, uh, nothing really has changed in terms of power since Anita Hill, a woman making an accusation, a credible accusation, even according to um, most of the Republicans, uh, who are now going to disregard her credible <laughs> accusation and uh, with this guy uh, for the rest of his life on the uh, Supreme Court. Wow. So a reminder of what's at stake, a woman's right to choose to control her own reproductive health. I think uh, workers' rights, 
unions going to be finished off now. Dark money in our politics finished off. The uh, kleptocracy, the plutocracy, the rule of uh, corporations being the people that matter. <laughs> That's going to uh, be doubled down on. And uh, this man ascending to the court will alter life in this country for decades to come. And this is happening at a time when, let's be honest, America is, uh, is really faltering in so many ways. This, this is just another symptom of our decline. There is no doubt about it. Our democracy ain't working. Our stature in the world is plummeting. There was a, some kind of a poll done globally that I guess is, is done on a regular basis that um, asks people all around the world to say who they trust in terms of world leaders. And do you know that the President of the United States <laughs> is uh, behind in that poll, behind the Chinese President who finished first, and Vladimir Putin. The world trusts Vladimir Putin and the Chinese president before they trust the leader of the United States of America. And the vacuum that we have created by pulling back from the world under the Trump administration has eagerly been filled by both those men, Putin and uh, Xi. So this sense of us that we have always had of being um, the country is close to ending if it hasn't already done so. And as, as I think ha anyone with any sense has always known, this country's largest enemy was never outside of the country. It was never Russia. It was never, it still is not China. It is we, the people. If you're old enough to remember an old, uh, an old cartoon, Pogo, uh, the famous phrase that Pogo uttered is, we have, I think, <laughs> I'm going to say a famous phrase and then I'm going to get it wrong, we have met the enemy and he is us. So I'm I'm feeling very down today. I heard that there is some kind of a rally um, in Pittsburgh, uh, like around four or five o'clock, at uh, Shenley Plaza. Um, if anyone has any information on that, that I can, I've seen nothing. So whoever's doing the PR for that ain't doing much of a job. But if I can pass that on. I know there are bus loads of people 
heading toward D.C. right now for one final exhibition of outrage. And as I said, I don't think any of it will matter. The fix is in. People like Jeff Flake, Susan Collins, I anyone assuming that they're going to somehow come to the rescue here hasn't been paying attention. Now, it's not beyond the realm of possibility, but I think probability uh, is that they will do what they have always done, which is make a lot of noise when asked, and and then when it comes time to vote, they fall in line. So you're, you're uh, listening and looking at a very, uh <coughs> a very sad and uh, woman in in me. Uh, the fact that people coming forward with all kinds of credible uh, stories and uh, memories uh, that show that Judge Kavanaugh lied. Didn't I say Pogo? Yeah. D lied. Um, none of them interviewed. And I think a lot of people who probably do know stuff are too afraid, too gutless to come forward. The one thing we're learning is most people lack courage. And, you know, you can say, well, who would blame them? I mean, anybody comes forward is just destroyed. And certainly if you're a woman, you are not to be believed, that we now know. Or even if you are believed, it doesn't matter, <laughs> which is even worse. Oh, that's terrible what happened to you, but, uh, you know, we got a court to pack here. My um, rage is, is so hot right now that that's why I'm seemingly affectless. I'm not screaming. It's sort of like you, you know, some people when they're really, really angry, they get quiet. <laughs> that's where I am right now. So they'll do this vote tomorrow, and then they will, the full Senate will vote as early as uh, Saturday morning. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe there'll be some hero or two. We need a hero or two. But I'm not, I'm not holding my breath. That's how I feel. And I just, I know I have a caller waiting. Hang on. I just have one more thing to say. You will recall that when Christine Blasey Ford gave her testimony, she was asked by one of the senators, what was the one thing that is most indelible in her memory? 
of that assault. And do you recall what she said? She said the laughter. The laughter. That's what she can't get out of her head, that these two were laughing as they terrorized her. And who could not think of that again, seeing the president making fun of her before that hooting mob of loathsome people and they were all laughing at her. All these years later, laughing again, that's what she got to hear. And I, I again, cannot, I just, I'm sorry, I'm, I feel like this big, I do. I feel so extraordinarily powerless and inconsequential and so angry I can hardly breathe. Okay, caller, go ahead. Spell me for a bit. Hi there, Lynn. Hi. Hey, Lynn, do you know you know Doris, I think her name's Doris Goodwin? Yes, Doris Kearns Goodwin. The historian? Yes. Yeah, I, I can't, yeah, her full name. Mm -hmm. But um, she was on Morning Joe. I usually don't watch it, but she doesn't think it's lights out for America. She says that, we, that we're not facing anything we haven't faced in the past. She feels that a leader, a strong leader, will come out with her mayor or governor and we'll turn it around. She said, we're not done. She don't believe that. So, well, see, hopefully she's right. I, hopefully she's right, too. God, I hope she is. But um, you yeah. see there the difference between an optimistic temperament, which would be Doris Kearns Goodwin, apparently, and uh, right. me. I'm sorry. But uh, God, I hope she's right. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. And another thing it. I yes. heard yesterday was that somebody that knows the elections pretty well they said trump for him to win again in 2020 he didn't win by that much which we all know he only pulled off some three states which he very little margin of error on his part he's not grown his popularity so right. for him to pull off a second time you have to start to pull in more people which he's telling you know a lot of the people that voted for him say the hell with him we see what he did he's He's pretty much going to have a hard time. That's just said. She said, I don't, or, I don't see him winning again. Or, I hear what you're saying, but or you might just need more uh, Russian meddling uh, hacking into our voting system. Did you ever think of that? Well, I think of that, but I kind of think this time the people are going to come out. I really do. Well, Last time they were asleep because they thought he was going to lose. This time they know he's in there and he might win. So I think that's on our side. Okay. 
Don't ask me why I'm so optimistic today. Because you, li- you listen to Doris. Like you. Doris got you in an optimistic mood. That's a powerful woman there. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Now there was um, there was a cover story in I think this Sunday's New York Times Magazine about our broken uh, electoral system, the actual infrastructure that is so just open to attack. And to read that piece is to feel such despair. (laughs) It's a frightening piece to read. And uh, I, uh, there's so much to be afraid of right now. I don't know if you want to, but that's why I say uh, the fix uh, could be in. And the fix only has to be as big as a few jurisdictions in a few key states, right? Because of the electoral college. And who knows um, how secure our votes are, given the fact that anyone who knows anything about our systems here in the United States unanimously says they are not secure. It's The, here, here's some realities about. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm really not going to get into this too much because it's frankly more uh, complicated and technical than I uh, understand. But here's something I understand. We know that there were efforts, and there have been continuing efforts to hack into our electoral infrastructure. Uh, Those infrastructures are put in place by state governments. There is no federal. There is no one federal infrastructure when Americans vote. There are 50 states who then allow a number of other county jurisdictions to take over. So if you're concerned about the security of our voting structure, there is no easy fix because there's not one jurisdiction. There are over 10 thousand election jurisdictions in the United States. A few might be secure. Most are not. Some have allowed the companies whose computers or systems, voting systems they use 
to essentially run things. Not even every state has like one point person. Uh, you might think that each state would have a, an officer of some sort who would be in, in charge of elections and oversight of security, but that is not the case. The Federal Elections Commission sounds like that might have something to do with it. They have nothing to do with it. Their whole focus is on money coming in, campaign finance, not on the security of the machines we vote on. It turns out there is a little something that is nobody even knows exists, which is called the U.S. Election Assistance Commission. <laughs> and it is there to serve as some kind of a liaison between the federal government and all of these state governments, not to mention the 10,000 other smaller jurisdictions where really the power is. So after knowing that our 2016 election was truly compromised and we're not even clear how many people tried to compromise it yeah the Russians we know that but there can be all kinds of independent actors <coughs> excuse me damn it <coughs> state actors don't know um The voting infrastructure we had on election day in 2016 <coughs> that gave us Donald Trump is essentially the exact same voting infrastructure we will have when we go to vote in November. It has not changed. The voting machines that we vote on are made by big companies. There's really only two left that form most of, uh, I think, uh, more than 80% of Americans vote on machines by just held by just two companies. Here's something very concerning. They obviously, these companies, have software, right? They do not share. That, that's proprietary software. We as a country have turned over our election system to a few huge corporations whose software determines what the vote is and the efficacy of the vote. And we, they will not share that software with the government. When something goes wrong, they go to court and cry and say, we can't give out this. This is our bread and butter. We can't tell people how we do what we do. So stop and think about it. We are a country in which the public 
the voter <laughs> does not have the right to know where whether the software, the algorithms being used um, are hackable or not. And the fact is we do know they are <laughs> hackable. And these companies are very defensive about that. So if we cannot trust the machinery on which we vote, then we cannot trust our democracy anymore. And <laughs> that's a huge, huge problem. By the, by the way, I said there are essentially just two companies now. And they are not only fiercely secretive when it comes to how their, how their machinery works, but they also, both these companies, have overwhelming ties to the Republican Party. Did you know that? The voting machine industry is known for its close political ties overwhelmingly to the Republican Party and also a revolving door in which people come out of these companies and go into election offices or out of election offices and into these companies. <coughs> this, is, this is the kind of you know, knowledge that is so unsettling. Um, Oh no, I've got that wrong. More than 80% of the machines in use today uh, are owned by three companies. Three. They're called Dominion, ES&S, and Heart InterCivic. Probably never even heard of them. And they control our votes. And the products that they put out there to election offices have documented vulnerabilities to hacking. They can be hacked. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's just one little thing I highlighted just to, and then I'll shut up about this because here is from the New York Times piece. Attackers... <coughs> could design a code that would bypass any pre-election election testing that is done. But then that code would kick in at the end of an election or under specific conditions, say when a candidate appears to be losing. And there could be a hack that when the numbers start looking not good. They could doctor numbers and then erase itself. The code would erase itself to avoid detection. They know, <coughs> I'm so sorry about this, they know this is possible. And so <coughs> it is possible for somebody, a hacker, to make a machine or machines in a specific jurisdiction produce 
election results with wide enough margins to avoid trig triggering automatic manual recounts. Most states, most jurisdictions say if a race is, you know, razor thin tight that they go in and they actually sort of audit every vote. Nothing has been done to fix any of this. And targeting the voting machines is just one way you can subvert an election. Uh, a hacker or somebody operating on the inside uh, could target the voters themselves by messing with the voter registration rolls, uh, messing with uh, whatever the those nice little ladies who you know check you in when you go to vote, what information they have available to them. They also have ways, since some of these tallies are electronically transferred to um, from smaller jurisdictions to county offices, and then county offices to state offices. All of those points of transit. are potentially vulnerable. So, you can see why I am feeling down today. Ellen says, I had an up and down day yesterday. I spent the better part of yesterday morning and early afternoon canvassing for Connor Lamb. <coughs> then in the late afternoon, heard a report that the Democratic wave has virtually disappeared with improvements in Republican election interest as a result of the Kavanaugh hearings. Finally, and I, <coughs> finally, and I don't usually watch <coughs> the political cable shows, but I happened to tune in to MSNBC last night when I got frustrated with the wild card baseball game. And Jennifer Rubin spoke of the possibility that if the Democrats take the House, there would be a thorough investigation and possible impeachment proceedings against Kavanaugh. A ray of hope, maybe. Well, Ellen, yeah, you can impeach him, but it's the Senate that convicts. And this diminishing blue wave that's being reported is showing an increasing red wave at the Senate level. The Senate is stacked because each state has two senators, no matter what the population. And most Americans live in, re in, in blue states. So all those red states with not a lot of people get two senators the same as New York, the same as California. And so the majority of the Senate, the Republicans, actually represent only 18% of the population. That's how effed up our government is. The Constitution, as constructed, doesn't really work 
if you want a democracy, if you want a representative democracy. It doesn't work anymore. So the Senate, the higher house, for Democrats to take that will be a hell of a lift. And I actually think that uh, the Republicans could come away from the election in a, f in a month with um, even a bigger uh, majority. Heidi Heidkamp in um, North Dakota looks like she's going to go down. She could also be voting for Kavanaugh trying to save herself, which would be unfortunate when she should think about saving the country. Claire McCaskill is polling neck and neck. Um, there aren't a lot of, I'm, I'm telling you, when it comes to the Senate, I, but we know, do we not, the polling is uh, potentially uh, incorrect. You know, speaking of Heidi Heidkamp, you know, trying to save her own skin so I maybe she'd vote for Kavanaugh. I am so, I, it is amazing to me how open these uh, politicians are about why they vote as they do. When Jeff Flake was asked in a 60 Minutes interview this Sunday, If you were not retiring, in other words, if you didn't have to worry, I mean, if you were now running for re-election, would you have done what you did, which is call for this additional FBI investigation, which of course was totally, uh, totally undercut by the White House not allowing the FBI to ask questions about all the times he perjured himself about his drinking, not allow well, yeah, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But Flake, without batting an eye, when asked if he would have even considered doing what he did or voting against Kavanaugh if he were still running, he sort of laughed and said, <laughs> no. And I was so struck by that. No one even questions that for all of these men and women who have power, their number one concern is their own re-election. If that is who represents us, then... That is not, <laughs> these are not honorable people. These are not courageous people. These are not people who put country or, or over their own paycheck, their own little piece of power. How is that? And so the only people that can be expected not to vote uh, are, are people who are not, running for re-election and that their votes will only be <coughs> sort of figuring out if they can still be re-elected if they vote the way they, their hearts or their heads tell them to? 
You couldn't even write a book called Profiles in Courage now having to do with our Congress. You could not. There are no honorable people there, it seems to me, or very few. Um, before I totally get off the subject, I just want to give you a little more information about why I am so down today. So we're talking about this blue wave, and we're talking about how everyone has to vote, right? And that's what we've been working toward. We want everybody to vote. Do you know what percentage of eligible voters voted in the last midterm election two years ago? Nationally. One-third. little smidge over one-third, about 34% of American voters bothered to vote in the midterms two years ago. And this blue wave that's supposed to see all us Democrats go run into the polls and independents running to the polls, You think it's going to be over 50%? I don't know. So I, I look at our country now, and, uh, you know, I remember what I learned in civics and history class and this thing I keep saying that I, I don't even know which founding father said it, that if if this is going to work, then you need an informed and active citizenry because to give power to the citizens through a vote, then they have to take that power. They have to be serious about it. And we don't. I'm, I mean, I have voted in every election I have been eligible to vote in. I'm sure many of you have too. We are in an extreme minority. The last time, listen to this, more than 50% of eligible voters turned out in a midterm election was over 100 years ago. Was in 1914. So we think Everyone is so inflamed now that, my God, I'm going to have to stand in line for this one. Don't bet on it. Uh, those people who do turn out now, increasingly, the gap of who votes and who doesn't is socioeconomic so that educated and or wealthier people tend to vote in higher numbers 
Um, and you know, the part of me understands that. Uh, because if you're a down-and-out person, if you see politicians yapping about how they're going to help you and make things better and nothing ever gets better, or seemingly it doesn't, you can see how over time you just say, hell with it. And voting is like a lot of things. It's something you learn from your parents. So, I mean, I really was schooled in that that was my responsibility. And I learned that in school, too. And I took it to heart. But clearly, a whole hell of a lot of people never got the message. And, uh, in fact, most people never did. Um, and then there's this. You know, these things where they, they quiz Americans about basic kinds of things and how few of us know anything about our history, about how our government works. And then you, so there shouldn't be any surprise that those people don't vote. A recent survey found that Oh, God, 60% more, most Americans did not know who the countries were that we fought in World War II. Fewer than a quarter of Americans could name one thing that Benjamin Franklin was famous for although over a third of them thought he invented the electric light bulb. Americans who um, are given the test that immigrants who want to be naturalized citizens have to pass, flunk that test consistently only one in three manages to pass this multiple cho choice test. So that kind of ignorance of our country, that kind of lackadaisical who gives a crap uh, sense of a citizen's responsibility, uh, I think brings us to where we are with Donald Trump as the president and his hooting, hollering base. And unlike Doris Kearns Goodwin, I cannot uh, figure how we are supposed to feel that somehow we are up to writing the ship just because we always sort of have? Well, things are different now. Things are different. And I don't think we got it in us.
Not enough of us. That's all I'm saying. That's my assessment. Granted, I tend to be a pretty tough judge. But, uh, yeah. Oh, I am so depressed myself. I'm going and I'm literally, I'm going to go drown myself. I'm jumping into the mon. I am. I am. And I'm sorry to do this to you. And if for some reason <laughs> something positive happens, um, I will be the happiest of people and I will you know, happily eat my hat. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so let's get to stuff that... Did you hear about the Minnesota town where drunken birds are dive-bombing into cars? Well, that's a little something that might make you feel better, although it doesn't make me feel better because I'm poor birds are suiciding. It's a little town called Gilbert, Minnesota, and the police have uh, put out a warning that um, these birds are um, under the influence. <laughs> They're drunk. Apparently there was an early frost up there and a lot of um, berries that birds eat uh, on trees had, because of the freeze, had f begun to ferment. And so these birds are eating them and getting just stupid drunk and so stupid drunk that they're killing themselves. Uh, I mean, they don't mean to. They're flying low to the ground. They're flying into cars. They're flying into windows. Um, and the police have told people that if you see a bird acting really weird and wandering around, just leave it alone. <laughs> it'll, it'll eventually wear off. Um, Some woman uh, told the police that she'd, uh, this is so sad because I, I, I love birds. Um, she said, I hit seven birds with my car this week. She said, I didn't really hit them. They just dive-bombed into me. She said, I thought this was, I was losing my mind. I was wondering what was going on. And somebody else, of course, posted, well, there goes the chance of any bird from northern Minnesota ever being on the Supreme Court. Well, not, actually. <laughs> not. So um, this happens every once in a while where uh, birds, and they usually, uh, and unfortunately, they, they die. But they go out happy. Little Tony has just said, Debbie Downer. I know I am, but tell me if, first of all, I haven't, when I've told you things here today, factually, like about our voting system or how ill-informed and 
don't give a shit Americans are, the average American, I'm not telling you anything that's not true, okay? So you tell me how with those facts you feel hope. <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. I don't. A uh, few other little items. Did you see that uh, a Pittsburgh woman has won a Nobel? Uh, and a woman uh, winning a chemistry Nobel is unusual. I believe she's only the fifth woman to ever be awarded uh, a Nobel for chemistry. She's a young, pretty young, too, 62. Her name is Frances Arnold. She's a Alderdice graduate. And uh, she says that... Um, she used to work when she was in high school at Walt Harper's attic. And uh, she also drove a little bit for Yellow Cab. <laughs> Isn't that something? Oh, yeah. I don't bet there's a lot of Nobel laureates who drove for Yellow Cab. And she also was not a good high school student and didn't take chemistry at Alderdice, and in fact was often in trouble. And she said that their, her parents received a stack of truancy notices on her. How the hell? Man, she turned herself around someplace. Wow. That's amazing. So, um... That's some good news, and uh, here's some, also, I enjoyed this story as well. <coughs> um, by the way, I want to thank uh, Kurt, one of you, uh, for that story, because I got it out of the Post-Gazette, which I now get from him, bypassing the um, Mr. Block. Um, another story there was about another prize <coughs> going to a woman. Um, and this is called the Trinity College Rooney Prize for Irish Literature. And the Rooney in the title is Our Roonies. Um, I believe it was Dan Rooney that initially uh, sponsored uh, and endowed the prize, which uh, honors an Irish writer under 40 years of age who uh, shows ex you know, like they're going to be somebody. And the woman who got the call about this thought it was a joke. Her name is Catriona Lolly, and she got a phone call saying, you've won the Trinity Prize, the Rooney Prize, she said. And she's thinking, Rooney Prize? What? This woman, listen to this, is a janitor at the college. She wrote a book three and a half years ago. And it was considered by those who hand out the prize a brilliant book. Former recipients of this prize have gone on to be extremely well-known, distinguished writers. This woman gets up at 5 in the morning and goes and cleans 
some of the buildings at this college, then goes home to tend to her daughter, little girl she has. And I guess somewhere in between working as a janitor and taking care of a child, she writes astonishing literature. So that's an amazing story to me. Uh, we have a call. Hello, caller. Hey, Lynn. Hi. Hi. I know you sound really depressed. I'm there like many others. But when I first turned you on, I heard real anger. It's partly like the depre- the frustration and the anger lead to this depression, <laughs> right? Yeah, I guess. And yeah. I... I listened to a great podcast the other day, and now I've seen this woman. Have you seen there's a woman out? She's, she's on all the programs right now. She wrote a book called um, um, Women, Rage, and Power or something. Rebecca Traster, I think her name is. No, I don't know. And she's uh, – I, I think you need to, like, listen to the podcast at least, if not read the book. <laughs> um, because a lot of uh, – Women's anger leads to uh, repressed anger can be used to initiate change, and I think that's what we're sort of seeing. So, right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I it, agree. It stems from a lot of the depression is anger. I know for me, well, and, I, no. and I just heard it in your voice too. And it's almost like, you know, what this woman was saying just rang so true. It's yeah. like it's this incredible anger at the injustice and the the um, debauchery, the idiocracy, just everything that's going on, and reasonable people, um, it can make you angry. Yeah. <laughs> and women aren't allowed to express this. Well, I, I have never, uh, I, I have always disregarded that rule, which is probably why I'm a single woman. <laughs> I have been an angry woman all my life. Um, well, and with reason. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to send you a link to this, okay? <laughs> okay. I thank to, you to for that. Okay. Thank hey, and you. I saw her on uh, an interview. She was actually interviewed by that Christian Anapur. Uh-huh. Have you seen that program on PBS? Mm. She took Oh, she Charlie took Charlie Rose's, Rose's show. Yeah. No, right. I haven't. But It's excellent. Thank you. Thank she you. was first doing it by herself. Now this show has changed a couple of weeks ago, and now it's called Anapur and Company. And they have a lot of people doing... Um, little small um, reportage. It's excellent, in depth and excellent. And, and when is it on? people on. When, when is it um, on? It's PBS. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, okay. I know it's I'll on really it. early in the morning, but oh no, I, I think it might be like well, you can record it. Okay. All right. God. Check it out. Yeah, it's I really always. Well done. Yeah, they always put women and black people shows in what I always called the broadcast ghetto. I mean, it's either, you know, the weekends, and it's times, it's not prime time, usually. But No, and, she, and you know, it's nightly. It's five nights a week. Is it? I'm surprised. I was so, I had that guest. Okay. And I have been so impressed the last few times well, I've watched this. It's like, wow, they have an incredible staff. Well, that's great this, to know. Um, thank you. And I actually, I have okay. actually something. Okay, thank you. And thank you very much. And I have something now to share. I got this email. And uh, I just want to tell you, um, this is from 
Tracy Royston, and she says she is having an informal party for an organization called Women for the Future, Pittsburgh, WTF. It's wonderful. What the fuck, Pittsburgh? But Women for the Future, Pittsburgh.com, okay? Out, and Amy, I'm going to send this to you so we can post this. Um, she's co-hosting this party with Chelsea Wagner. This WTF Pittsburgh was founded last year to provide financial support and guidance for progressive female candidates who are committed to disrupt the crippling political inertia in western Pennsylvania. Okay? Um, she goes on to say, <clears throat> I do not need to tell this group that we need to band together now more than ever. And here's a way to channel our anger. I, I'm telling you this because I'm hoping you're going to show up at this. You're being invited. Um, she says, uh, Pennsylvania ranks 49th out of the 50 states for gender parity in elections. Of the 28 legislators representing Allegheny County in the Pennsylvania General Assembly, only one is a woman. 28 legislators represent this county, Allegheny County. And of the 28, one is a woman. Pennsylvania has never elected a woman to the Senate, to the governor's office. We have now just one woman in our 18 congressional districts. WTF. What the fuck? And this is Women for the Future. Pittsburgh. You are invited. Write it down. Sunday, October 14th from 5 to 7 p.m. at Social, that is a restaurant at Bakery Square, okay, on Penn Avenue, where Google is. It's just, it's on the first floor of the Google building. 5 to 7, October 14th. Wine and munchies provided. Bring friends. The event is free. And this is a way to start using our power. We are only behind Mississippi for Christ's sake. So please, and if you can't make it, consider a donation. Uh, again, www.wtf, easy to remember, what the fuck, but it really stands for, um, what does it stand for? Women for the future. Um, WTF Pittsburgh, I want to get this absolutely right. WTF Pittsburgh, totally written out, dot com. 
um, they could use donations. And they are there to empower women candidates. Please. If I had the stomach for it, I'd do it, but I'm too old. Some of you young women, go for it. Please. Okay. <coughs> the book is Re by Rebecca Traster called Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger. Thank you for all of that. Milton sent me that, and I uh, thank you to the caller uh, for cluing me in. And um, all right, guys. Uh, well, I'm glad we ended on a more, uh, yeah, let's channel the anger. Okay. Thank you so much. See you tomorrow. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.